0: It's my car When I buy gas don't get me very far. My baby needs some milk to drink and mama wants her wine I get a check each week but I don't know what's mine I'm losing track I don't know what to do I got the budgeting blues. Welcome to Sensible Chat with your host Sensible Bobby the show that is all about budgeting, smart spending and saving. Today we're going to chat with Molly McKenna. You may have seen her on CBS News recently talking about how, even with health insurance, she ended up with a $40,000 medical bill. She'll share her story, what she did about it, and what you can learn from her experience. And be sure to stick around after class for Saving Secrets, where you'll learn a new tip you can use today. But first, here is the debt destroyer, the credit risk conqueror, the deer of dough, the saver of sawbucks, the sensei of savings, the bully of budgeting. It is Sensible Bobby. Wow, I feel like
1: I'm going into the ring for a wrestling match. (laughs) I'm going
0: to throw on the theme from Rocky in just a second.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Scott. I appreciate that introduction. You know, I want to talk for just a few minutes today about automation. Automation as it refers to paying your bills and saving money, because I hear so many times people saying, automate everything, make it easy. And while some part of me agrees with that in theory, when you really get down to it, this could be a detrimental thing. Let me explain why this concerns me. When I started budgeting, the whole reason was because I felt like my financial life was in chaos. It was out of control. I'd been on autopilot just spending whatever I spent, finding out after the fact if I had the money to cover it or not, and I really didn't know where I stood. So, What I had to do was really get a clear picture of my finances and stay in the moment, making sure that I was on track with them. Not only tracking my spending, but planning for my spending going forward. So automation really kind of cuts you out of being aware of what's going on on a day-to-day basis. And when you're starting to budget, I feel that is extremely important. Because if you haven't had a handle on where things are going, letting somebody else do that work is really going to be a detriment to you, especially if things are not in line with where they should be. Let's talk about the pros and cons of automation. Supposedly, they save time paying your bills and transferring money for you. And they can save you the stress of paying your bills on time they can also save you the time of entering transactions into budgeting apps. And people say that this makes your life easier, and it does if it all worked that way. But here are the cons for automation, in my view. First of all, the transactions are done automatically, regardless of whether there's enough money in your account. If you have your bills set up on auto bill pay, that means they are going to come out on the date planned every single month. But if you have irregular income or, you know, you get paid every two weeks, not on a specific date, how do you know for sure that you're going to have enough money on those dates to pay those bills unless you're really paying attention? If you are, then maybe bill pay is for you. But what if there's a glitch and your payment doesn't get made on time? If you're not paying attention, you're assuming that it got done, but you're not double checking, which could come back to bite you in the end. Because if your bill is late, you're the one who's going to take the fall for it. And I've actually seen examples of people that this happened to, and they were put into collections for certain bills that were not paid. Now, that can be contested, And the bill pay system is probably going to be liable for any late payments that you may have, but the blemish on your credit report may not come off so easily. When it comes to budgeting apps, there's a feature where you can link your accounts so that all your transactions are downloading into your budgeting app. I have a problem with this one too, because again, there are glitches that happen and sometimes those transactions are not downloaded properly. They're not downloaded at all. And either way, you're going to have to go back and make sure that they were all correct and that your budgeting app matches your bank account. So in the end, to me, it just seems to make sense that you do it manually in the first place so that you wipe out any of those issues that can come along. The other thing is that if you are linking your bank account in these budgeting apps, that means that you have to supply your banking information. So they're getting the credentials as if they were you to go into your bank account. And those bank accounts will hold you liable for any issues that arise from that. Now, I'm a huge fan of budgeting apps, and I don't think that any of the budgeting apps are trying to do anything nefarious, but there are glitches that arise and they could be very difficult to fix. So in my mind, it's a lot less hassle if you just do it manually in the first place. And the other thing is, again, if you are tracking your money, you're going to have to reconcile all of this. So it seems to me it's much easier to just put it in manually and save yourself the hassle of any glitches. Otherwise, you're doing double the work. If you're having a hard time getting a handle on your money, putting it on autopilot and trusting another source to deal with it properly could cause you way more harm than good. Now, some of these automation features may be very helpful later on once you've gotten control over your finances, once your budget is in place and you've been tracking for a while and you're on a good steady path. But in the beginning, if you are just starting out, just trying to focus on your money It's very important to be engaged in the entire process. So I really highly recommend that you do all of this manually. Pay your own bills, transfer your own savings, and enter your own transactions into your budgeting apps. So instead of automation, I recommend streamlining. Streamline everything you can to make this process easier. So if you're using a budgeting app like YNAB, which you guys know is my favorite budgeting app, you need a budget, YNAB, you can enter your transactions manually and you can do this at the time of purchase so your receipts don't build up. Hence, you're always on top of your accounting and you never have to sit down and take that dreaded hour to type everything in. You've already done it. That includes deposits, purchases, any transaction that you make that's going through your bank account or your credit card. Here's another idea for streamlining. Set up your budget so that you can do all of your banking, including paying all of your bills, one day a week when you've got plenty of time. I always do it on a Saturday because I have the day off, I've got plenty of time, and I can just sit down, get everything done at once, and then I don't have to worry about it again for another week or two or whatever it is. In the beginning, I suggest that you do it every week. This is a good way of getting into the habit of keeping on top of your finances without having to stress about them on a daily basis. So I do my budgeting on a weekly basis, but it depends on the week what I'm going to do on that day. I'm always going to balance my register to make sure that I didn't miss any transactions. My checking account has to match my budgeting app. And then if I have just gotten paid, I'll go ahead and pay all the bills due between now and the time of my next paycheck. If not, I'll make a plan for the next paycheck so that I know how my money is going to be spent the minute it hits my account. Then I'll go through and make sure that I have enough money in each category to tide me over until I get my next check. If I had auto bill pay set up, what I would have to do is go through and make sure that those payments had been made when they were supposed to be made and that they have hit my account on time. So because of that, again, you're doing double duty. You're going to have to track all that stuff anyway. Why not just go ahead and do it manually on a weekly basis so that you know it's getting done on time, you're not stressing about it all week long, and you're not doing double duty. And you always have a clear picture of where you stand financially today. For me, automation takes the control out of your hands. It puts it in somebody else's hands. And anytime you're depending on someone else to get this stuff done for you, there could be issues. I personally would rather cut out the middleman and get it done myself. So instead of automation, again, I suggest streamlining. Put a plan in place that makes it easier for you to manage your finances on a regular basis one day a week so that you don't have to worry about it every day But keep control of what's happening to your money, because in the end, you're going to be responsible for it. If you do choose to use automation for bill pay, for savings transfers, any of that kind of stuff, just remember to track it, because if you don't, you could miss something in your bank account, and that can lead to your bank account being overdrawn, which can be very costly. Just make sure you are keeping track of your money to avoid any frightening mishaps. Speaking of frightening mishaps, Halloween is just around the corner, and boy, have I got a horror story for you.
0: Okay, class, Sensible University is now in session, and have we got a horror story for you. (laughs) Bride-to-be Molly McKenna canceled her wedding after being hit with a $40,000 hospital bill, even though she was insured, but unknowingly out of network. Here to tell her story in her own words is our guest professor, Molly McKenna.
1: Molly, thanks so much for being our guest professor today. Thank you for having me. I was on the YNAB group on Facebook, and I saw your story, and I was just so shocked about it. I had to talk to you about it in person. You were recently on CBS News, and the headline of your story was, Insured Woman Hit With Massive ER Bill Cancels Wedding. Wow. (laughs) I definitely need to hear this whole story. But let's start with the massive ER bill that you were hit with. What happened? And how did you have such a massive bill when you had insurance?
2: Honestly, I'm getting lots of different reasons from pretty much every entity that's involved. So it's all been really confusing and a little bit difficult to figure out. But in short, I became very ill with what called an ovarian torsion, which is when your ovary twists in on itself and essentially dies. And so it's a very painful process. I can compare it to kidney stones. I've had kidney stones before, and I actually thought that that's what it was when the pain started. So I ended up seeing my primary care physician that day. And I unknowingly led her down the wrong path because I said, oh, I think I have a kidney stone. And so she instructed me to go get an ultrasound where the radiologist, the technician said, I'm really sorry, I don't see anything in your kidney. And so, you know, it kind of all spidered from there. But I got essentially you know, got sent home from the imaging center and... My doctor said, you know, if it gets worse, then call me. But she had prescribe me medication that she would have for a kidney stone. She trusted me and thought that that's, you know, what it was. So ended up going home. And about 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night is when things just got really, really intense. So my now fiance was just my boyfriend at the time, took me to an emergency clinic that's right across the street from my neighborhood, less than a half a mile away. It's definitely the closest one you know, to my house. And that is a Baylor Scott and White emergency clinic that's open 24 hours. I was admitted and I gave my insurance card. I had a CT scan there and about 30 or so minutes after that, the doctor came in and said, Your ovary is just a big hemorrhaging mess. We need to take that out. We can't do that here. Our facility doesn't have any operating room. So I'm going to transfer you to our Round Rock Hospital. Round Rock is the next city over from Cedar Park. And so the ambulance came, gave my insurance card one more time. And the ambulance, I was kind of in and out of consciousness. The pain was just so bad. I kept kind of, you know, I would fall asleep for a couple minutes or pass out. I don't even know. And then I would kind of come to and... So gave my insurance card in the ambulance and then one more time when I reached the Baylor Scott and White Round Rock Hospital. And then I met my doctor who was really lovely and who explained what was happening to me and just said, we're going to keep you in a room on the labor and delivery unit just for a little while until I get the OR prepped and ready. And I was in surgery at about seven o'clock in the morning. He wasn't sure if they were going to be able to save the ovary or if it was going to have to get taken out. But when I woke up from the surgery, he did tell me that he needed to remove it. And, you know, it was great. When I woke up, I was so relieved because I just didn't have that pain anymore. And then fast forward to a few weeks later, the recovery was really, really long and difficult and much harder than I thought it would be, if I'm being honest. And when the hospital called to schedule my post-op appointment, is when I found out that I was out of network, as uh. they say. And so I said to the woman on the phone, she called me and said, you know, we need to schedule your post-op. I just want to give you a heads up that this is going to cost about $175 because, you know, you are out of network. And I I said, out of network? Well, what does that mean for the surgery? And said something along the lines of, I'm assuming because that was an, an emergency, I won't be, you know responsible for the entire bill. And she just said, Oh, no, you will be and and the balance is about $40,000 right now. And I just, you know, uh, my heart just totally fell to the floor. And I looked at my fiance and said, I think I just put us in financial ruin. And I'm really sorry. And then everything just kind of spidered from there. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, wow. I just can't even imagine, you know, here you are going in for post-op and finding out that this emergency surgery, after the fact now, you owe all this money and there's nothing that you can do about it. What a horrible feeling. I mean, you thought that your insurance was going to cover everything, right? Right. Yeah. So what did you do?
2: Well, I told the woman on the phone, I said, you know what, I'm going to go to my primary care physician instead for the post-op. And then I called my insurance company. And I have an insurance broker who has sold me a few plans in the past few years, I don't have health benefits through my employer. So I've always had to find a private plan on my own. And I, in the last few years, have connected with this woman who was also on CBS with me. She agreed to be interviewed as well. And so I contacted her right away and I just said, oh my gosh, Laura, I just heard from the hospital and I'm completely out of network. What does that even mean? They're telling me my balance is $40,000. And she was just as confused as I was to be honest with you. And she said, let me call Philadelphia American Life. Let me figure this out. Don't worry. Don't pay anything right now. And she said, if worst comes to worst, you have the benefit of Karis, which is a organization that's based out of Austin where I live, they just basically negotiating cash rates for you with the hospital, and so you know she said I've seen eighty thousand dollar bills go down to two thousand with the help of Karis. Like, please do not worry. So she just kind of put me at ease in the moment. She said, you know, I want you to just collect every bill, every explanation of benefits that comes in through the insurance company. Collect everything, but don't do anything. And I just thought, okay, I'm going to trust the system. I'm going to trust the process here. And she, at that point, realized that it appeared that Baylor Scott & White had temporarily left our network for Uh about a month. And so it just so happened that it was the month of January when... I had the procedure. So that's my luck. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. That's just crazy. I was never informed by, you know, certainly not by my insurance company, but definitely not by the hospital. And it was just very surprising. I even remember, I think I was at the ER. So I was at the first clinic, the 24 hour clinic, when I actually asked the doctor, listen, how much is this going to cost me? Like you took my insurance card. Is this okay? Are you going to take my insurance? Like I asked that question and he said, please don't worry about any of that right now your health is way more which he was right right i was in an unbelievable amount of pain however i did learn throughout all this that really they only take your insurance right there to just make sure it's active they don't actually run it to get it you know approved or make sure that it's something that will be covered they do that later and so had he said you know we are not in your network you might want to go to a different facility i could have done that like my fiance and i could have gotten up and and walked out it would have been awful but we could have made it happen yeah. so that was really frustrating too
1: well i can imagine that it was because you know i've heard about this before we've kind of had the same experience in a lesser way of you know finding out that we were out of network but when yeah. you're in a situation like that in an emergency i mean you well, thank goodness you could even ask them you know, about right. that. It could have been in a place to do it. But there's a lot of situations where people would go in for emergency surgery, maybe not even able to speak. So they couldn't do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And even though you did, you were told not to worry about it. Of course, your health is more important, but you asked right. the question and didn't even get the yeah. answer. That's what's so frustrating.
2: And like, what if I had been in a car accident yeah. and like you said, like completely unable to have any control over where I was taken in the ambulance on my bill from the hospital, the really big bill, it says patient out of network. And then my insurance company tells me, well, you don't really have a network with your plan. We just cover up to a certain amount for anything. And if I had been in a car accident, if it had been that kind of emergency, I would have been covered a lot more than this. So it's just, you know, I tried so hard to do my due diligence and ask all of these questions with the insurance company before I signed on to this plan. And No matter what, it just seems like there's really no great option for a private insurance plan. It's just it's really difficult. Yeah.
1: Nobody seems to know the answers. You ask the doctors, you ask the insurance company, and never the two shall meet. So do you feel like you've gotten the runaround between the medical professionals and your insurance, or do you feel like they've done the best they can for you and nobody just knows? Or how do you feel about that?
2: I feel like every day is a little different with that. I definitely feel like in the last few months, August and September in particular, I have really been almost bullied by the hospital, by the billing department. They have been just so unwilling to work with me, unwilling to negotiate, unwilling to offer any sort of basically self-pay discount or I mean they have policies on their website that say if you're underinsured or if you have an excessive bill after insurance pays out, you are automatically eligible for a forty percent discount and Until the CBS news story aired, they were like, nope, sorry, you're out of luck. Deal with it. Mm. So that was really, really tough to swallow. I will say in terms of my insurance company, my insurance broker has really been a great advocate for me. She has called Baylor Scott and White almost every day trying to get answers for me, trying to help me out. She's asked a friend of hers who spent 20 years in billing to kind of jump in and take over where she lacks. And and that woman has been calling every day and trying to figure out my father, who's an attorney, has been calling every day. And so I feel grateful that I have support from a lot of people, but all the support in the world can't really do anything for a hospital that's not willing to work
1: with you. Yeah. And according to CBS, I mean, you just said that before that news story aired, they weren't, Mm -hmm. you know, willing to work with you. And it seems like maybe they have been a little bit since then, which is kind of sad that you have to get on the news in order to get because most people don't have that opportunity. Thank God they covered your story. But according to CBS News, the medical professionals actually called what happened to you cost wise quote, an opportunity for improvement.
2: I mean, what does that even mean? (laughs) I have no idea, but I'll tell you it it was a few days after the story ran. I didn't hear anything from them. And I was going to give them some time because, you know, they said they were going to reach out to me. I was going to let them, I was assuming they were going to talk to their legal department, figure out what they could do, what they could say. I did get a call three days ago from a woman at Baylor Scott & White who Said, "Oh, the vice president asked me to reach out to you, and we're very sorry for the experience that you had. And we've looked through your account, and we've listened to calls, and we've, you know, dug into this a little bit. We'd like to offer you fifty percent off of the bill, which would leave me with a balance of fifteen thousand, as opposed to you know, close to thirty thousand, which is better, but I don't think it's as good, seeing as they've already gotten about ten thousand dollars from me and my insurance company." So, but I mean, it took the news story. I don't think that would have happened had it not been for CBS running the story.
1: That's terribly sad and and disgusting. Now, you did say you were able to negotiate a $12,000 bill down to $3,500. And I got to know how you did that.
2: Yeah, well, what I found out throughout all of this is that the 24-hour emergency clinic that I first went to is a separate billing department than the hospital. Even though they're both Baylor Scott and White, they have separate billing departments and separate kind of systems and processes there. That billing department was much easier to work with and much more willing to negotiate with me than the big bill. So the twelve thousand dollar bill was the bill from the emergency clinic that I went to first. Insurance paid out a thousand dollars on my behalf, so my remaining balance was about eleven. And basically I called them and I said, Hey, I found this policy on your website that states that if I have an excessive bill after insurance pays out, I'm, I have a 40% discount that I'm eligible for. And she said, sure, yeah, we can do that for you. And I said, great. And I said, is it possible for me to, because that was still quite a bit of a lump sum. I said, would it be possible for me to pay that in monthly installments? And she said, no, unfortunately, you have to pick one or the other. You have to pay it all at once. With the discount or you have to take the full balance and split that into monthly payments. <laughs> and I just said, Well, I'll tell you what, I can't do it out of forty percent. But because of YNAB, I knew that I have had I had thirty five hundred that was kind of set aside, really set aside for our wedding. But I said, I have this amount, I can pay you that. Would this be enough to zero out the balance? And she just said, Yeah, I can do that. Wow. And so I gave a credit card, paid the bill, and settled that bill.
1: So you offered her a lump sum and she took it. Wow. (laughs) Now, yeah, we're definitely going to come back to that YNAB thing in a minute because it's worked wonders and I know it's worked wonders for you, but it seems like, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. I mean, you've really been doing your due diligence even after the fact, finding these discounts and offering up a a lump sum and and negotiating and everything. What else have you learned from this experience that you could share to anybody else who may go through this?
2: You know, I feel almost guilty that me out of hundreds and hundreds, I mean, CBS alone had 600 or so emails and they picked my story. And, you know, since I've been talking about this and some people, even people very close to me didn't even know that I had gotten sick and this had happened. I'm not I'm kind of private when it comes to things like that. But it makes me realize just that this happens to a lot of people. Everybody seems to either know somebody that this has happened to or it's happened to them. And really, the best advice that I can give is to read your insurance policy, ask a lot of questions, prepare yourself beforehand for an emergency, know exactly where you can go in an emergency situation advocate for yourself. I think that's really important. But if you do find yourself in this situation, reach out and ask for help. I mean, really, the turning point for me was talking to my dad. And, you know, my dad is is an attorney, not an attorney in Texas, but he was able to find me somebody in Texas that I could talk to. And he had a client that has worked in, in insurance for a very long time. And he put me in touch with her. So seeking out resources, people, Really do want to help. They want to lend a hand. And I think that was a really nice thing that came out of all of this is that people are really willing to listen and they care and they do want to give you the right resources, but also do some digging on your own. I did a lot of research on Baylor, Scott and White and found out that this is not abnormal for them. This happens a lot. They're, you know, whatever you want to call it, the price gouging or, you know, having a really difficult time with the billing department. They have a one star rating on Yelp because of their billing department. And it's a shame because my doctor was phenomenal. I thought the facility was great, but the billing department is what everybody has a lot of issues with. I have a coworker that's in a battle with Baylor Scott and White right now. So this is just not, you know, arm yourself with knowledge, do some digging and read your policy, read their website policy, comb through everything you can. And when you do call to talk to somebody, be prepared. Don't let them, you know, bully you. That's what I was finding was happening to me. And really the the call that I had to the supervisor at Baylor Scott and White is what enticed me to write into the news. It was just so awful and sad and hurtful yeah. to be spoken to like some uh, by somebody like that, you know, whereas here she has all the power and I, and I've always been raised with, you know, you catch more flies with honey. And so I was just super, super sweet and very you know, mm-hmm. submissive throughout that whole conversation. But I don't know if a lot of people understand insurance, just general consumers. I didn't. I probably still don't have a full understanding of it. So the best advice that I have is to just read as much as you can. And dig as deep as you can into the hospital, into your insurance plan, appeal with your insurance company if you don't feel like it's fair, if you if you feel like something isn't right, you know, there's there's a lot of people that you can reach out to that can help you.
1: Yeah. Knowledge is definitely power. You mentioned that there was a place that your insurance broker told you about that would actually negotiate rates for you. Is that correct?
2: Yes. That's another story within itself. So this group is called Caris Group. They are, I will say, an organization with the best of intentions. What happened was you have to wait until you have your bills and the bills have to be over a certain amount. I believe it's 2500 in order for them to take on your case. So I knew I would be fine with that because my bill from the hospital ended up being about $28,000. So I gave them two separate cases to work on. I gave them the hospital bill of 28000 and I gave them my emergency bill of 12000 And so they opened up two separate cases for me. I was assigned a case manager through CARIS. And the last thing that I heard from them was, we want you to apply for financial assistance. So I did that and I had to do that twice with the two separate billing departments. So I was never notified that I was denied, but I knew that I would be denied because when I looked and did some research on the financial assistance program through Baylor Scott and White, I saw the limit of what your salary would be. And I was $50 over the annual salary. Oh, of <laughs> <And so laughs> I kind of knew, yeah, right? Yeah. So I kind of knew that I wouldn't be, and I told the gal at like Harris that I said, you know, I know I'm not going to, qualify for this. And she just said, you know what, let's just give it a shot. And if it comes back denied, then we'll work through it. So that was back in June that I had applied for financial assistance. And July 5th, I got an update from Karis that said, your application is still under review. We're working on it. We're going to keep you posted. We're going to you know, check in from time to time with the hospital and, and check on the status of your application. Well, I was never notified by either billing department that I was denied. And Towards the end of August, so we're talking you know, almost a month and a half after my last update from Karis, I thought, gosh, there really should have been something by now. So I reached out to Karis and I just said, just checking in, making sure that you know I shouldn't be doing anything. And she responded and said, oh, I'm so sorry. I took a different position in the company and your case was moved over to this other person. She'll be in touch. I'll make sure she reaches out to you. In the meantime, though, while I was waiting to be contacted by the other person, I found out that my bill had been spun into collections, the large bill with Baylor Scott and White. And they just kind of dropped the ball. Something got lost in the shuffle when she took on a new position. So they weren't really able to do anything for me. And that was kind of a moment for me with my insurance broker. I told her, you know, this is a benefit given to me by my insurance company, by you and this did not work at all the way he told me it would. Yeah, for <laughs> so, sure. Yeah. So at that point, I knew I just needed to take negotiations with my own hands. And in order to keep the other bill, the $12,000 bill, from going into collections, I called them that day. And that's when I just said, hey, I can give you $3,500 right now for this.
1: So you are living proof that a lot of times, I mean, these groups that are supposed to, you know, act on your behalf, you can really get a lot more done on your own than... Yes. A lot of times we totally. can do for you. Now, let's talk about YNAB because as anybody knows who listens to this podcast, I am a true believer in YNAB. I'm a huge fan. I know Good. you are too. So just to get into this, tell us why you... Because, you know, again, the headline here was that you canceled your wedding after you were mm-hmm. hit with this bill. So tell right. me why you chose to cancel your wedding and elope instead.
2: Well, you know, I think we had been kind of stocking money away into my little wedding category on YNAB for a while. And I definitely had this idea in my head that we would be getting married in Austin where we live and where we met and did have this kind of vision of a, my fiance was teasing me, um, Chip and Joanna Gaines esque wedding, you know, the Mason jars. <laughs> <laughs> <And they go. laughs> so I did have this vision. Um, but when we really started to actually started when we started making the guest list and in about five minutes we had 75 people and we just kind of thought like, I don't know if that's what we want. I don't know. So we were always, kind of on the fence of doing something big, as opposed to doing something kind of small. But you know, when you're making a guest list for your wedding, if you invite this person, you have to invite that person. (laughs) If you invite this person, you have to invite these two people. So it just kind of, you know, it grew from there. And so we had decided to keep it small anyway. But once I realized that we were for sure going to be responsible for paying this gigantic life changing balance, whether it be in a lump sum or a monthly fee, it just did not make sense. To then be spending ten to twenty thousand—I mean, however much a wedding costs nowadays—on that on one day, and so, like I hear so many times, it's about the marriage, not the wedding. And so, we just came to the conclusion that we would have a planned elopement, not as spontaneous, but you know, (laughs) it's planned for May second next spring, and we're going to get married in Colorado, which is where we. Had our first little vacation together as a couple, so we have fond memories there, and it's going to be great. And we're really excited about it. We're very at peace with that decision. We're going to have a little party in my parents' backyard in June, just for you know my family to come to and be able to celebrate with us. But yeah, it's definitely not going to be the Chip and Joanna game Beth.
0: Wedding that I, <laughs> that I <imagined. laughs>
2: Yeah,
1: and you know it's such a bummer that that happened and that changed your plans. But it's so great to hear that you're at peace with it and made another way that is actually affordable. Because you know you're right; yeah. it is just about that one day. I mean, you want that day to be special, of course. But there's so many people who would throw caution in the wind and not even. I mean, a lot of people may say, you know, after I asked you that question, well, of course it was about the money. But others would say, well, I would never let that stop me. I would just put it on, you know, go into debt. Right. So tell yep. me about why that's important to you to not have mm-hmm. that debt and how YNAB has helped you with that.
2: That's a great question. Well, I'll tell you from a very young age, my parents put the fear of God in me about debt and about credit card debt. And so I didn't get my first credit card until I was probably 21 or 22, and I have never been an overspender. I've never lived outside of my means. I hate the idea of debt. You know, besides like a car or a mortgage or something normal, I really hate the idea of consumer debt. I had a pretty sizable student loan that uh, was about thirty six thousand dollars, and I've paid that off already. I graduated in two thousand and fifteen and I paid it off seven years early, nice. and that was because of lineab and I came to know of Winab through my financial planners who own a really cool business and Austin called the Art of Finance and they actually hooked me up with Winab with as part of their whole process when they kind of onboard someone onto their system and it just opened up this whole new world for me. I had been using a spreadsheet for years and years, but I had never grasped the concept of like living on last month's income. Gosh. And that was a game changer for me and aging your money. You know, having something like YNAB that has everything laid out in such a visual way and I'm a visual learner was just kind of the missing piece for me and I was able to make really sizable payments to my student loans because of YNAB and understood what was happening with my money and where it was going and where I was spending it. That was a game changer for me for sure. So, you know, really after paying off my student loans, I was just feeling so great that I didn't have <laughs> any more debt and I knew myself well enough that I would never get into debt. I was totally planning on if we did have a big wedding we would pay everything in cash and when i realized that that just wouldn't be a possibility is, is you know when we really solidified that decision to elope but yeah i think i just have my parents honestly to thank for really pushing me honestly never to have a credit card and to live live on the cash that you have and and that's it
1: Well, kudos to you. I mean, that's such an important thing. And it's so great to hear that you got those lessons early on because I know for me, YNAB was a big way of me getting those mindsets. I mean, you know, beyond it being this budgeting app, it just changes your whole way of thinking about money and it makes such a huge difference and you can really see what's important and what's not. Yes, And so that's, I guess, the amazing thing to me. You had that mindset going in. And so you're able to be at peace with the fact that, again, you yes. may not get the wedding that you were thinking. But it sounds like you will still make sure that you get the things that are important to you through that. Just not yes. all the fluff that's not really.
2: Exactly. And I found this amazing company called Simply Eloped. And the whole package, I'm talking the whole kit and caboodle of like hair and makeup and photographer and officiants, and just everything that you really need to get married was a little over a thousand dollars. Way more doable than what I would pay for a venue and food and the cake and all these things. So it just made me feel so much better. And the, looking at Pinterest and Instagram about brides and grooms that have eloped and... is making me feel a lot better too because the pictures are beautiful and it looks so lovely and intimate and wonderful and so that kind of helps me whenever I start to feel a little sad about it I just go on and look at those things. And I'm like, ah, oh, this
1: is going to be so great. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And it's great. Yeah. I mean, it just kind of goes to show that, you know, with creativity, you can, again, get what's really important for maybe less. Absolutely. Dollar a yeah. That's such a phenomenal story. And I really appreciate you taking the time to share it with us because, yeah, sure. there are so many people who have either been through it or may go through it. And I think the biggest thing for me is that, like we were talking about earlier, knowledge is and if you have that knowledge, then you have a little hope when something like that happens, because it feels so devastating in the moment. Yeah. And thanks to your story, I'm hoping that other people, if they have to face this, will remember it and go, "Okay, there is hope, and there are things that I can do. My life isn't over."
2: Right, absolutely. And staying positive is a is a big thing too. You know, I, I have a really nice life. I'm marrying a wonderful person, and so just keeping all of the things you're grateful for in in the front of your mind is probably what's gotten me through this whole ordeal.
1: Molly, thanks again so much for your time today and sharing oh, your my story pleasure. with us. And I, sure. I wish you and your husband the best. I hope you have the <laughs> most you. fantastic wedding ever. Thanks and, so much. Thanks for having me. Man, that was truly a scary story. It just sickens me how this type of thing can happen. She's certainly not the first to go through this. Somebody please explain all this health insurance stuff to me. I've actually been searching for the perfect guest to cover this issue, especially with open enrollment right around the corner. Well, I finally found Scott Heiser. He's author of the book, Healthcare is Making Me Sick. And I'm going to be chatting with him in November during open enrollment. So make sure to check out that episode at sensiblechat.com. Now let's save some money.
2: If you value the green, if you save as you go, your wealth is closer than it seems, and you can make that.
1: Welcome to Saving Secrets, where we share super easy and ready-to-use savings tips you may not have heard before. If you've got saving secrets you'd like to share, email me, Bobby B-O-B-B-I, at sensiblechat.com, and I'll share your tip in an upcoming episode. Today's saving secret is, max out your HSA. And what a great time to be talking about this after what happened to Molly McKenna. An HSA is a health savings account, and if you have a high-deductible health plan, you probably qualify for one. If you do, I highly encourage you to use it. Individuals can save up to $3,500, and families can save up to $7,000. Those are the limits for 2019, and they'll increase a tiny bit next year. But here's the beauty of an HSA. It's pre-tax money, and if you use it for medical purposes, you'll never be penalized or taxed on it. So even if you spend every dime of it for medical costs, you're saving money because you didn't pay tax. And it lowers your adjusted gross income, which lowers your tax burden. Also, if you don't spend it all right now, you can save it for future medical expenses or invest it and let it grow. You'll never pay penalties or taxes on the invested amount or earnings as long as it's used for medical expenses. And at age 65, you can use it for any purpose without penalty, just like you would your 401k. All you have to do is pay the taxes. But according to a study from the Center for Retirement Research at Boston College, the average retiree spends $4,300 per year on out-of-pocket health care costs. And that doesn't include long-term care. So it's probably going to come in handy at some point. This is the best savings account I've ever used, and I've used it a lot. It's good for medical, dental, and vision. Just be careful if you also have an FSA, flexible spending account, because there are limitations on using both. I'm lucky enough to get it through work, but even if your employer doesn't offer one, you can open one on your own as long as you have a qualifying high-deductible health plan. That's my saving secret. Now I want to hear yours. So if you've got one, email me, bobby, B-O-B-B-I, at sensiblechat.com. Our next episode falls three days before Halloween, so we're going to talk about a very frightening subject, bankruptcy. But our guest is going to teach us how to get beyond the fear, through the process, and on to a better life. His name is Don Golden. He's a bankruptcy attorney and host of the Fresh Start for Life podcast, and I definitely recommend you giving it a listen. He has a great website, freshstartforlife.com, where he focuses on how to enjoy financial peace after bankruptcy. So meet me back here for the next episode. Thanks for listening, and remember to leave a rating and review for this podcast. I would love to know what you think. Until next time, keep spending and saving the Sensible way.
0: That wraps up another episode of Sensible Chat with your host, Sensible Bobby. If you need help with your budget or want to share your thoughts, reach out to her through the contact page at sensiblechat.com. While you're there, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.